Have you ever had somebody read your mail before? Have you ever had that feeling like somebody confronts you and talks to you and it's like they've just read your mail? (laughs) That feeling like they know something about personal, some details inside of you and they're like, how do they know this? Have you ever had that feeling? Um, Maybe I should describe a little bit of the background here for the younger generation. Do you know what mail is? (laughs) Paper, copy, uh, goes in an envelope, we lick it and stick it and put it in with a postage stamp. I'm not even going to talk about how do you address an envelope properly. We won't get into that. But, but there is that feeling of sometimes reading your mail. And, and I'm young enough to still have been part of the era where mail was delivered by a delivery person to my house. I lived in a, a rural setting at one point in RR1 Woolwich. And a little vehicle came along. We had a mailbox at the end of the driveway. They would put it in there. One day I observed, we had people, we, because we were on a country road, people would walk on our road to enjoy the countryside, and one day this stranger came up and was rifling through our mail, and I thought, that just feels very uncomfortable, <laughs> and I addressed it, I said, what are you doing, and he realized something and moved on, um, but have you ever received a ma- an envelope in the mail and it's already been opened, torn open probably, and retaped? And sometimes it's got a scribbled message, uh, sorry neighbor, uh, I thought this was ours and I'm returning it to you. It, it kind of feels weird when somebody goes through your mail, doesn't it? It feels odd that people are reading personal details about you. Uh, the same is true with our email, uh, that sometimes when people get a hold of our email or we realize we've been hacked, that's a whole different story. But I'm coming to this phrase of what does it feel like when somebody has read the inner thoughts of what's going on in your heart and your mind. Have you ever experienced that from somebody confronting you before? Have you received feedback where they say to you that they they unfold some details about the thoughts you have or about issues your kids are going through and you're like, "How, how do you know some of these more personal bits of information? Or they start speaking directly to your soul And they say something like, I think you're facing a storm, but the Lord has said it's going to be over very soon. And you think, I'm trying to hide that storm. How did they know this? Or maybe they are cautioning you and they say to you, that area of life right now where you're going to compromise, where you're going to cut corners, where you're going to cheat the system, don't do it. And you realize that this is a very intentional thought that you haven't shared with anybody, but it's coming back to you. Or they're speaking to you in a way that you know it's God who's delivering a message to you. And you can sense just the atmosphere and the conversation changes. And you're, you realize this conversation has gone to a whole deeper level. Have you experienced the Holy Spirit speaking to your soul, your mind, will, and emotions in a way that you know you need to respond to this because God is trying to get your attention He's trying to speak into your life because he's calling you to surrender all of your life. Today's scripture passage is John chapter 4. Do you want to open with me? I want to take you to a passage of scripture here that talks about an experience where a woman felt like she had Jesus read her mail. She had a situation like this where she knew she needed to respond with her life. And this passage is going to take us to our core value today. We're doing our Heart of the House series. This is week number two. And I want to bring before you the heart of worship. I want to unfold and teach what, why worship is a core value for us here at Koinonia. 
There are five core values, and we're going to go through them each week. And they are expressions of how we believe we are to live out the mission that God has given us. God has called us as a church to be building relationships with him, with one another, and with the world. And today's core value of worship is going to help us see how we are to live that out. This woman that I'm referring to in in John chapter 4, she heard Jesus speak matters of her heart. He addressed and revealed some things that were maybe common to the people in her town, but were not known by perfect strangers. And she was compelled, she was so stirred by the presence of God in that conversation that she needed to do, knew that she needed to respond and wanted to respond with worship toward God. Now when I say that this core value is the heart of worship, think about some of the definitions of worship that go through your mind. Maybe you think about devotion or expressing honor or bowing low in complete reverence or pledging adoration. All of these do describe what a response is of worship. And worship in a relationship with God is to be our first response of devotion and adoration to him and to him alone. And as we begin to express our worship to God, We realize, as we open ourselves up to him, we realize that he knows us deeply and intimately. And that takes the worship experience to a whole deeper, more personal level together. God desires that. And I want to encourage encourage you to pursue that with God as well. What I hope that by the end of this morning's service and our time together is that you will see that worship is to be our first response to God. It is something that is to be personal and very intentional as we respond to him. And that you will see and experience great value as you worship. You will see worship enhances and enriches something within you. Because you're giving your love to one, the creator, your father in heaven. And he's drawing you into an experience that only he can create of depth and value. So worship is to be personal. It's to be focused on God. And when you realize how well God knows you, it's just a blessing when he takes you deeper. So let's look at John chapter 4. This story about a woman who had her heart read by Jesus. I can't give you all the details of this chapter uh, this morning in our time. So I'm going to encourage you to read it through on your own later today or definitely this week. Because there's details here about Jesus' disciples baptizing There's details here about how Jesus was traveling from um, Judea up to Galilee and he passing through Samaria. And in this story, he stops here and he stops at a well just outside of town. And it was in the town of Sychar. His disciples were with them and they went into town to get food. But he stayed at the well and started to have a conversation with a woman. And it was around noon. There's a lot of detail in this passage But what I want to get to is the heart of the topic that this woman brought up as she was in conversation with Jesus. What we see unfolding here is that Jesus first, in verse 7, asks her, Will you give me a drink? The woman responds and says, "Um, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews and Samaritans didn't associate together. So immediately she's responding and kind of taken, taken back by, why are you asking me for a drink right here? This doesn't make sense. 
I actually came out at this hour of the day to get water because I didn't want to be seen or be around anyone. But Jesus was directed by the Father to have a very intentional conversation with her. So verse 10, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a cup or a bucket to draw from. She's going back to the practical of the situation. She's saying, you're asking for a drink, but you have nothing to draw water from. How do you expect to get this? But then the woman also begins to mention something about living water. And she makes mention that this well belongs to their ancestor Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she said, yeah, this is a special well, but what are you talking about of living water? Well, come to verse 13. Jesus answered her and said, everyone who drinks this water from this well that we're at will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty because I have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still working on the, the reality and the practical of what was happening in this moment. But Jesus is calling her a little deeper and a little deeper. And, and she's leaning into it because she's aware that there's, there's something significant going on here. So as Jesus draws her in a little deeper, he then speaks to her heart. And he says, go call your husband and, he, and have him come back. I have no husband, the woman replies. Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And in that moment, she responds and says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This conversation going back and forth, I believe, stirred something in this woman to say, whoa, what's going on in this moment? This man must be a prophet because he just told me details that strangers don't know. She responds back in this way to him, but Jesus is trying to entice her and draw her in, talking about living water. And I think she gets to this point in the conversation, she's a little bit exasperated of, he has nothing to draw water from, he's saying about water that won't thirst, well then just give it to me. But then he addresses some matters of her life. Some matters that some she tried to keep secret. Some that were known by the townspeople that she lived within. But she was responding back and she said, well then give me this water. And then she opens it up and says, this mountain here is where we've come to worship. Because Jacob, he's, he's one of our spiritual forefathers. And this is a holy spot, this is a sacred spot Prophet, if you're a prophet, I want you to know I know some things about what is holy. And as she unfolds that, then Jesus begins to speak to her very directly and clearly. Look at verse 21. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when tr the true worshipers will worship the Father 
in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Notice how Jesus just goes very intentional with her. She's the one who brought up worship. And so he responds and says to her, calls her woman, gets attention in the moment. And he says, a time is coming and is now here. He's addressing something immediate and right now. There was a time, yes, where you Samaritans worship. Yes, the Jews worship. But it's, it's not about where and when. It's about right here and right now. And he addresses her by saying, this time has now come. And the Father, God, desires true worshipers. What are true worshipers? Jesus continues, ones who worship in spirit and in truth. He's drawing her to see that worship is to be at a whole deeper level than just geography or time of the day or day of the week. He's calling her into a response and and a relationship that is to be expressed back to the Heavenly Father. He's speaking about true worshipers. And, And in this, he's identifying that they are to worship from their spirit through the Holy Spirit to God. He's also mentioning this word of truth. They will worship with spirit and in truth. Truth, who was identified shortly after this as being the truth? Jesus himself, right? Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. He's using words that are going to become very familiar expressions about describing who he is. And so he's calling this woman to say, now is the time to worship from your spirit through the Holy Spirit, through the truth of Jesus. And I'm going to encourage you to read this entire chapter. Read it today. Read it this week. Because I believe that what you will see within it is that this woman responded with a reaction, a response of worship, a response of devotion toward the Father based on what Jesus said. How do I know that? Because what John tells us is the woman at this point went back to her town and she went to all of the people who knew her and said, you've got to come out to the well because there's somebody there, there's a man there who just told me everything about my life. Now we didn't read all the details of her life, did we? We just read a couple. So obviously she and Jesus continued to have conversation and she responded so eagerly, emphatically to say, I got to tell everybody I know, they've got to come and meet this one who's telling us how to worship the Father with our spirit and in truth. And we read in verse 39 that many of the Samaritans from the town believed just based on the woman's testimony. But when they came and met with Jesus and saw and experienced Jesus firsthand, then it's John records that many of them believed by what they witnessed as they had conversation with Jesus. Worship is not about when and and where. It's about who and who to. Worship is about you and I worshiping who? Worshiping our Father in heaven. God invites us. He's eager, he desires for us to respond with our heart, with our lives, to worship him. There's a reason he declared in in the Ten Commandments, one of them he said, worship no other idols, no other gods, but worship me alone. That was centuries ago. Jesus is bringing the focus of worship back to this woman in her generation. I'm bringing it before us again as a church. May we worship and have devotion for nothing else but our creator, our God, our Father, in heaven. And as God calls us to worship, 
He's actually calling us not to an event, not to a service, not even to one particular song that might be your favorite. What he's calling you to in worship is that worship would become a lifestyle. Worship would be something that would flow out of you to express your heart back to your creator, to your God, to your heavenly father. Worship is to be a part of, not a part of our lives, but the part that continuously overflows out of our lives every day. Now you might say, well, that's, it's, it's easier to worship with a song when we're gathered here on a Sunday morning to sing out and to express because this is a comfortable spot and we're all singing the same thing. We got great musicians here. And, but how do I be ready to worship when I'm on my way to work in the morning? How do I be ready to worship when I wake up and it snows in early November? Like God expects me to love him when he sends snow. What is he doing to us? And there's lots of situations in life that stir us a whole lot deeper and make us more cold-hearted than snow. So how do we posture and get ready to worship God on the good days, on the great times, on the low and the challenging times? Let me leave three verses with you that will just help posture your heart and your mind to prepare you to live a life of worship. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, are these words, Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness in all these things will be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom. That means go to him first in your day. Go to him last in your day. Go to him in the middle of your day. Whatever you call, call a priority or focusing on is, is make that first connection is, is God in his heart and his kingdom. And I remember at a time when I was preparing a message to communicate with our impact youth, our students. And I was asking God, and you remember, remember me sharing this illustration. I was asking God, God, how do I communicate to the students what kind of relationship that you long to have with them? And I remember he impressed this on me. He said, Brian, tell them that I long for them to reach out and take a hold of me like they reach out and take a hold of their devices. They would get up early in the morning and they check to see who's on social media, what friends have replied. They check what the latest vibes are and what's, what's happening online. And, and they just are eager to there. Tell them that I want them to come to me like that. And I remember sharing that with the youth and, and for them going, whoa, I know, I know what he's talking about. Because not only true for our youth, but some of us who are a little older than youth, the first thing we do in the morning is reach for this device, don't we? And we grab a hold of it to see what the news is and to see what the weather is. And then we go on a whole trace and trail. God says, seek me first. Even before you need, feel like you need validation here, I will give you validation. I will tell you who you are and how much I love you. Seek me with passion because this is temporary. But God says, I, our relationship, it is eternal as you have faith in my son. So you may need to take things and set them aside so that they don't become first. Or maybe you need to throw them aside. Or One person said after first service, you know what I do? I close mine in my Bible at the end of the day. And then the first thing I wake up in the morning is, ah, oh, there's the word of God reminding me to seek first before I seek device, okay? Whatever it is, may you seek first his kingdom. It will posture your head and your heart. Colossians 3.2 is another verse where Paul teaches us this can help you to get into worship. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, but set your mind on the, the, the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
whether it's their first thought, whether it's middle of the day thought, whether it's the end of the day thought, and you go, oh, Father, I'm just going to set my mind on you right now and picture Jesus sitting next to you at, the, at your right hand. Oh, God, I, I'm amazed that you, you welcome me to be in your presence. Set your minds on things above, and your heart will begin to stir because you're thinking about what's eternal, not what's temporary. The last verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2, this postures your head and your heart. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Or another version says, this is your spiritual act of worship. When you offer yourself, your body, your time, your schedule, your agenda, when you offer it as a sacrifice to God and say, God, I offer back all of my being to you, then God has an opportunity to engage you in a spiritual level, in a spirit-filled way, his spirit connecting with our spirit so that it actually becomes a true response of worship back to him. These are just a few verses that can set you up for living your life as a life of worship. Setting your minds on what you seek after because you will begin to serve what you set your mind upon. And we will worship where we sacrifice. Those three words are significant words for you to walk out in life. But I want you to know that worship should be central to our lives. And that's why we make worship core for us here at Koinonia. We want to be worshiping God as we gather corporately like this. Elements of our morning service are to have worship and expression to God. Offering, song, testimony, the word time. We want it to be worship back to God. But as Pastor Nathan said this morning, worship isn't just about music. We can worship God with our vocation, what he's called us to work at. We can use it as a way to honor him, speak into our, our sphere that we work within. We can use our hands as we worship God, building, constructing, creating, um, engineering, and putting together. God gave us capacity, and we can lift that back up as a, a way to worship him, our skills and our ability. There's so much that, that God has given us that he desires us to live out every day so that people can see him through us, our actions, our words, our commitments, our devotions. I love when I hear that people have met with their bank advisors or their investment advisors. And, and the investment advisor maybe is not a faith-filled follower of God and responds back and says, how much money are you giving to charities and to God and to the church? Why are you doing that? And the people respond back and say, because I seek God's kingdom first. I love him most. I am devoted to him. I realize that when I sacrifice, God takes me and puts resources in my hand that are more than I could acquire on my own. And then you watch those bankers or advisors go, you might not be on to something right there. That sounds like a good plan. Devoting yourself to God first. But as we come to worship, we can easily be consumed by anything in our lives. Stuff we prioritize, a hobby, a purchase that we made could actually take a position of worship in our life. As we come in to gather as a church, we could easily be caught up in the, the music. We could be caught up in the lights, be caught up in everybody's clapping around. And, and this is just a good spot to be. 
But what about when you strip away everything in your life? When you strip it all away, what's at the core of what and who you worship? Is Jesus, God's one and only Son, at the heart of your personal devotion and worship? I truly believe that Jesus is at the heart of our worship as a church body here. And when we do strip away everything, that we still have Jesus at the center. Matt Redman, back in the 90s, was challenged with his worship leaders in a, in a church gathered together to say, you know what, I wonder if we have get, gotten distracted. Let's come back down and, and discern what is at the heart of worship. The heart of worship is all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And I've asked the team if they would come forward in the middle of the message here or nearing the end of the message and, and just lead us in this song so that we can use it as a response, even a prayer, and just say, Lord, if, if I've made anything in my life other than you my focus of worship, then strip it away right now. You may want to sing along with them. You may want to use these words as a prayer. I invite you just to stay where you are, but stay engaged as they just lead out and sing over us. When the music fades and all is stripped away, I grew up in a church that sang mostly hymns. And as a young person, I just got, it was my style. And confession, I, I got tired of them, didn't like them. Sometimes I'd mock them when the adults around would sing these hymns. But I remember one particular Sunday as the words were being sung out to a song that is called, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And I was listening to it, and I'm familiar with it, and I know it. But then it came to this line in the chorus, Oh, how I love Jesus. Then it repeated it. Oh, how I love Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, I know we're to love God. And then the last line, oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. I'm like, whoa, it hit me in worship. The reason I can love him back is because he loved me first. 
He loved me and gave his one and only son for me. And that rocked me deep within. So I could respond and say, then God, I want to give my love back to you. Worship is our love responding to his love. And at Koinonia, we want to continue to love him with our hearts, with our whole being, and worship him from there. We sing songs about Jesus being at the center. I was worshiping to this song, Jesus at the Center, Darlene Check's version of it. Understand it's been written, it was written by Israel Houghton, but it, it declares, you remember when we sing it, Jesus is you're at the center. Strip everything away, Jesus, we want you to be at the center of our worship, of our life's response back to you. That's why worship is a core value, it's heart to this house here. It's to be a lifestyle flowing out of us. Because when you give God your life, oh, he's going to get back and touch you in intimate, personal ways like you've never experienced before. A life of worship is a life of spiritual intimacy with God. Don't second guess. Don't run past it. Don't wait for Sundays to intimately worship God. Use your life and each day of the week to respond back to him. The Holy Spirit and the truth make it possible for us to worship God with our lives. The Holy Spirit and the truth, Jesus, make it possible for every day to be a day of worship back to God. You can see some notes, some scriptures in the end of your notes that that talk about the Spirit and the truth that make it possible for us to worship Him. The Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm sending a helper so that you will be able to live this life expressing your love back to our Father in heaven. Friends, is worship your first response? Is it the last response of your day? Is it woven throughout your day? Is your worship personal and intentional? Or you just play a song and say, oh, that was good. That was my worship time. No. God wants to hear from your heart. He already knows the heart of those who put the song together. Oh, if you're going to sing it, but sing it from your heart. Have you experienced the value of worshiping God as part of your lifestyle, day in and day out. Jesus walked with the Father intimately and in fellowship every day. Follow his pattern, walk like he walked, and you will then be able to experience this deeper relationship as you worship the Father in heaven. Let me pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for calling us into relationship. Thank you for loving us first so that then in return, our first response can be to love you, to seek your kingdom, to lift up the name of your son, to walk in the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're blessed here in Canada, here at Koinonia, to have these times to worship you. May you keep drawing on our hearts, God. Keep drawing us as a church closer to you as you draw each one of us individually and as families and as couples. Draw us, each generation, God, draw us to you to be true worshipers of you that worship from our spirit through your spirit in the name of the trueness of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we want to worship you together. We praise your name and say amen.